Last evening, just before going to bed, I turned to my computer to look at the headline news. In bold red letters, I saw that Whitney Houston was found dead in her hotel room in Beverly Hills, California. Now, to tell you the truth, I know very little about Whitney Houston as we run in different circles. <laughs> and uh, I am not that into her style of music, I don't think either, though I don't really know what her style of music is. But I, I do know she was very famous and that she had a troubled life, especially after she married another singer by the name of Bobby Brown. I cannot help, of course, catching a glimpse of these kinds of things because people such as Whitney Houston are all over the news all the time. So I am aware of her. I just don't know much about her life. What interests me, though, about the story is that she has gone through a great deal of pain and struggle in her life, and it ended sadly uh, by herself alone in a hotel room. The next day, I think there's going to be, what, today or tomorrow, something about the Grammys? Is that it? I hope, I think. Um, now, I'm more interested in why she struggled so much. And I can surmise that she brought most of this on herself. But of course, a lot of our struggles in life we bring on ourselves through our choices and predilections. And I'm interested in that because I'm dealing with a man who is legendary for his struggles, if you will. There's lots in the Midrash in Jewish literature commentary on the scriptures about Jacob that the average person would never read. It's outside the Bible and you would have to go look for it. Uh, but uh, not only do we have recorded in the Bible his, his struggles, but he was known for that in the tales and so forth and commentaries that were told about him. Uh, he was some man, and he's in the scriptures for a reason. He is, uh, uh, a, if you will, a lesson for us. Jacob was the great uh, patriarch of Israel, the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac. And we see here in the pages of scripture a man who struggled mightily throughout his life. Much of it was because he brought it on himself. When I turn to Genesis chapter 32, uh, you see that he had a struggle that now has come down to us and we read about. And that is with the night visitor just on the other side of a little stream called the Jabbok on the eastern side of the Jordan. Let me give you just a little bit of background about Jacob. And for some of you, it'll just simply be recalling something about him. He has uh, a twin brother by the name of Esau. He was born second, but he came out holding his eel, as the story goes. And um, 
As you well know, uh, somewhere along the uh, line, when they were pretty much well grown, he cheated him out of his birthright. Uh, Jacob is not glorified in the scriptures for uh, his lifestyle, so to speak. Uh, uh, he was called a supplanter in the King James Bible. Uh, down south, I think we would call him, or maybe you do too, a slickmeister. He was a slick man, and he was able to get his way, and he was a manipulator. Well, this got him in a lot of trouble, so much so that his mother said, you know, as soon as your, your father's mourning is over with, I'm afraid your brother Esau is going to kill you. I would suggest you go to my brother's place in Haran, probably about 500 miles away, and there you take a... a, a a wife there uh, from my brother's household. And of course, again, uh, with his mother, they tricked his father again and they went to Haran. And he was there and he, he married uh, uh, Leah and Rachel and collected all kinds of uh, uh, wealth. He had many uh, sheep and cattle and he was uh, prospered very well. But after a while, uh, the brothers or the sons of, of Laban became jealous, more conflict, and uh, he had to flee once again. But this time the Lord met him and told him to return again back to his homeland. Now, what did it mean for him to return to his homeland? Well, that's where he left some unfinished business. He had a past and was with his brother. And yet, since the Lord told him, I believe his character has improved during this time. He is listening to the Lord. And he is concerned about the will of God. So I actually think his, his character has improved a great deal. And he goes back. Now, he is facing a very, very desperate situation in one sense. His wealth will not save him from the wrath of his brother. And as he goes back and he gets to the shores of the Jordan River, just on the other side where was his homeland, he gets word that his brother Esau is coming with 400 soldiers toward him from the south, from Edom, his homeland. And he's coming north. Well, you can imagine what went through uh, Jacob's head he knew that he had to face this. And the consequences, uh, the stakes were quite high. It was a matter of life and death. And so he uses some strategy. He obviously was a very bright man, not only in business, but in how to survive. And as he does that, he divides his troop to save some. He is out on the other side of the Jabbok by himself. When in the night, he meets a night visitor. Now, we are told very little about who this night visitor is. And uh, Jacob obviously does not know. Now, one thing you need to know about Jacob, he was a man of legendary handsomeness and strength. You have to read the Midrash or the, or the uh, commentaries of the uh, Jewish people of the Middle Ages to see th how this works out. A handsome man, and likewise, a legendarily strong man. 
And you can get that through the text if you read. So he's picking up big rocks at least twice uh, in, in the cycle of stories that are about him in the book of Genesis. He picks up a big rock to put his head on it and then he makes an altar out of it uh, and so forth. He, he moves uh, a big stone from the well so that he can give drink to uh, the daughters of Laban. So we see that in the text. No wonder they begin to tell stories about him outside of the Bible. But here is a man who is faced with, a, with a, the most consequential of situations. He could lose not only his family and his sheep and his herds, he could lose his own life. And yet, at the word of the Lord, he is going to go back. Now, today, I want just simply to draw some lessons out of his life. I think he is there quite clearly because his struggles and his past are instructive for us. We all have a past. We struggle with our past from time to time. It crops up. Uh, Human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever thought about the fact that animals don't have a past, really, that they can recall? Take a dog. If Cesar Romano is right, uh, they live in the moment. They don't have a past. Oh, surely it conditions them, no question about it, but they're not into that. They're not reflecting upon that, but you do. You do. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You are the master of all the creatures and the shepherd of all the creatures. You're the apex of God's creation. And Jacob is such a man with a past. He can reflect upon it. He can remember what took place. He remembers the wrong that he did to his brother. He he, he can recall, no doubt, in an instance moment. Now his conscience is much more tender than it used to be. He's recalling things that he did. Have you ever noticed in the prayer that we use in the bulletin? Uh, We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. He remembered those things. He remembers how he tricked his brother. He remembers the scheming that he and his mother did even to trick his father. All of these things come back now. But he is a man much more sensitive to the will of God. No doubt he says, I deserve all of this. I really deserve all of this. I've lived a shabby life. I have not taken care to consider my neighbor as myself, much less love my neighbor as myself. And so everything is coming to the front. He is meeting his past. And he has to come to terms with it. Let me say pastorally that sometimes we don't prosper in the present and are not free enough to go into the future because we have not dealt with some things that we need to to deal with in our past. It's important that you do so. Now, not everything that you've done in the past is worth dealing with. Uh, They should be forgotten. Like Sarah Barton, some... Uh, one of her, the founder of what, the Red Cross, someone said to her once, don't you remember so-and-so when they did that to you? And she reminded her that, uh, no, she didn't remember. And the person kept going on and on and on about the past. And she said very simply, he says, I have decided not to remember those things. 
There are some things you really should forget, the slights that you have, uh, maybe some of your good deeds that you've done. But what you don't forget and what you must deal with are those wrongs that you have committed that have injured other people. It makes a great difference how free you are in the present, doesn't it? The forgiveness of sins is a wonderful thing. What does it do? It frees you up for the present so that you might live and enjoy life. Well, Jacob had not dealt with something that he needed to deal with, and he returns, and he is to deal with it. But in the meanwhile, he grows on the other side of the Jabok, and he meets this night creature, and he begins to struggle with him. I, I don't know how they got into a scrap. I really don't know. There's a fellow that I, I went to high school with, Richard Nassif, a wonderful fellow. And I can remember that uh, we met at the bus stop in the first grade. And um, I hadn't seen him in September. It must have been about uh, November. It was kind of cold. I remember he had a big heavy coat on. And all of a sudden we just got into a fight. I have no idea why. There we were, six years old, fighting on the street. Just got into a fight. I wonder if Jacob didn't do something like that. Just, I don't know, he saw this guy. Doesn't tell us. It's amazing for its paucity of information. We don't know. But he's wrestling with this creature in the night. Maybe he thought he was defending the camp. I don't know. But he began to wrestle. And Jacob, with his legendary strength, could hold on, but he could not defeat him. And through the night, he began to realize this was no ordinary being. And then he realized this must be a representative from God. And indeed, it was an angel of the Lord. But Jacob would not let go until he was blessed. What a wonderful way to face your past. First of all, come to the Lord and face the Lord and admit what you are and ask for his blessing and strength. You know, a lot of the times we avoid things because we don't have the courage. One of the ways to get courage in life, it seems to me, and to remain courageous in your life, to deal honestly with all things, is to come to terms with who you are in the light of who God is. I love the, 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 the motto of Chapel Field. Coram Deo. Before the presence of God. You know, that will take care of a lot of our problems. To come into the presence of God and with struggling prayer to do things. I think we don't have many things that we need to have to serve the Lord because we do not ask and we do not pray. Jacob struggled. What were the consequences of this? Well, you can see the consequences. It's an amazing, amazing account here. Two or three things happened that are very important. He came to this struggle, and what you find is that he um, would not let this being, night being alone until he had blessed him. And when he was blessed, he became a different man too, for his hip was put out of joint, and he walked with a limp. Doesn't that tell us something that if we truly encounter God, we will never be the same? Did you notice the next day that as he walked, he walked a happy man that he had met the Lord? It's a wonderful passage of scripture if you read it in its entirety. He saw God. And he says, I saw the face of the God. And he named that place 
Peniel. He also, though, before he went away, had another encounter with God at Bethel. The two great events in Jacob's life happened to be Bethel and Peniel, and in both cases, he saw the face of the Lord. His whole trip to the east, you might say, is in this parentheses at Bethel and at Peniel. He saw the Lord. He lived before the face of God. God had promised he would be with him, and now he knows that the Lord is with him. And what is striking, when Esau arrives, Jacob had made great preparation to appease him, to find out that he didn't have to. The problem wasn't quite as big as he thought it was. As a matter of fact, it had disappeared over the, over the decades. It wasn't a big problem. Esau was not wanting to kill him, but to renew his fellowship against him. You know, something must have happened to Esau too. What do you think? Because he says he saw the face of God in his face. What do you think of that? These problems that we're afraid of, the past that we're afraid of, uh, maybe they have been distorted through our memories. Or maybe God has removed the obstacle and over the years the person has changed. Uh, I, I um, did a wedding a few years ago and um, it was in another state. And I met a man who um, was not on speaking terms with a brother. They had not spoken to each other probably in 15 years. They had been in business together, a business they inherited from their father. And they had a falling out. And this fellow sold his interests in part and moved 300 miles away, away from the family, everyone. They didn't speak probably for 15 years. But at this wedding, they all came and had to show up. And here was one whole set of family members over here, attractive, wonderful young people involved. And here's the other side here, too. These brothers had not spoken bitter toward one another. But something happened at that wedding. And they began to shake hands and speak to each other and talk about old times. And what was very sad about it was is how much they missed intermingling with each other's families for 15, 20 years. Things that happened, marvelous things. Why do we do these things? Do you have some unfinished business you need to take care of? Maybe you better go to the Lord first. That he might give you strength to do so. Struggle. Life's a struggle. Sometimes we cause our problems. Sometimes the problem simply is because we're Christians. I'm very concerned right now, and I, I, I'm reluctant to even mention this. I'm very concerned about the direction uh, of the religious freedom in this country. It's going to be a struggle in the future for the Christian community. We have had for a number of years now people using the phrase freedom of worship. That's not what the Constitution says. You know what it says. It says freedom of religion. 
And I thought for a long time, maybe they're just not sophisticated and they're using this language. Uh, and uh, just not giving it much thought. Just a little shift. It might not even register with the average person, but someone who is in the business and sensitive as I am about some of these things, it's bothered me for about three or four years to hear the phrase, guaranteed freedom of worship, when the phrase is freedom of religion. You say, what's the big issue? Well, the issue is that freedom of religion guarantees much greater rights in the public square than simply the freedom of worship. It's narrowing down, that language is, the freedom that, let's say, the Christian has. You can have freedom inside your church walls and inside your home, but don't think that you're going to spread this out into all your activities under the name religion. And then when I heard the mayor of New York would not allow Christian groups to meet in the schoolhouses, uh, and yet all other groups can, I said, you know, here's somebody who's got the message. Or when I, I realize the present ruling concerning the hospitals and contraceptions, that's a great concern to me. It ought to be to you. Particularly when we see what's going on around the world. We expect it in Egypt. We expect these things to take place in Algeria, maybe. We expect these things to take place in Saudi Arabia. We expect these things to take place in North Korea. We don't expect it to take place here. Now you say, well, uh, you're making too much of something. Listen, I've thought long and hard about this to even mention it because I don't like to be political. But this is a very serious issue. The Christian community is going to struggle in the future if the direction is maintained. What does that mean for you? It means that you need to be before the face of the Lord. I don't know what will happen. Maybe nothing will come of these things. But it is portentous nonetheless. It is ominous when language begins to change. If you read George Orwell's 1984, and you should, you'll see how important language is. When the language changes, pretty soon some serious changes takes place behind it. I think we ought to pray and pray more earnestly for our nation. As Paul says, pray for those in authority that they might do right. And let not the responsibility fall on us for not praying. Our freedoms are maintained, my friend. I do not think by simply raw political power they are indeed gifts from the Most High. And let us be earnest in prayer. Struggles. Communities have them. I do pray for the Egyptians every day, the Egyptian Christians. Nearly every day that crosses my mind what it would be to be a Coptic Christian in a land where you can't visibly uh, make one improvement on your church. In North Korea, you can't even say that you're a Christian. You have to fall down on your face and cry falsely when one of the leaders dies. You can't be open and honest. 
struggles. You have them, I have them. But if we learn anything from Jacob, it is, as the old hymn says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Let us do so. Praise be to God for the life of Jacob. And may the Lord give us courage to face what we have to face in life as we go to the Lord. Amen.